So, um, I want you to pray with me this prayer. Uh, there we go. I don't have it memorized yet. But as we prepare ourselves for the hearing of God's word, we want to pray and posture ourselves, our minds and our hearts, to be open to his voice. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to two passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 17, reading from verse 1 through 9, and then 2 Peter, towards the end of the Bible, if you still carry one, a physical one, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, and if you wish, I will set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And here we hear the witness of Peter following the resurrection of Christ. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we had been eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, 
This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven, and while we were with him on the mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this, to listen to this. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, first of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you need to pray for me this morning for one particular reason. Way more notes than I need. And I'm being sincere. The challenge for me often is to share with you all that I had prepared because I want to, and it feels important. But the art of preaching is to both be prepared and dependent. to be dependent upon the Spirit. For amongst us here, you are all coming from different life experiences. Perhaps today you are here in a, a posture of receptivity. Perhaps you are here and you're not sure why you're here. Maybe there's someone here who feels like, you know, I, I'm not quite sure about all of this either. And, and I'm not really certain about this whole Christian thing. And that's okay. We're glad you're here. We are a people that are shaped by the Bible, the Word of God. And, 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 and I, this is my preamble before my sermon. And I think it's really important that you hear me on this. The Bible has historically been used to subjugate and oppress people. It has been used as a means of justifying all kinds of wrongs. The Bible is also a complex book that requires some learning in order to understand it. And as a people of God here who wants to be shaped by this, we have to recognize, and I say this sincerely, we need help to read it well. Let me put it to you this way. The Bible is primarily three things. It is historical. It is literary, and it is theological. It's historical in the sense that it was written at a specific place and to specific cultures. And sometimes, when we engage in the study of Scripture through our Western modern-day lens, we ask the Scripture to answer questions it never intended to. In the West, we've been obsessed with the why. We've been obsessed with the how. We've been obsessed with questions of the text that sometimes the Hebrew Bible does not give us. But what the history of Scripture will teach us is that definitively there was a time and a place in the history of creation in which God broke into this creation that He has made to rescue it through the person of Christ. Therefore, when we approach the Bible, we begin 
with what it meant before we answer what it may mean. We need help. The Bible is a literary document. That means this, or many things, but it means this, that it comprises different genres, poetry, wisdom literature, narratives, parables, apocalyptic, prophetic literature. When you study the Bible without an appreciation for the unique genres in Scripture, it has led historically to not only poor interpretations, but a distorted understanding of who God is. People who apply a prophetic lens to apocalyptic literature, which in the modern day experience that we have with all the training and education we have, we struggle to understand apocalyptic. And so we have made it say things that just wasn't said by the first and early Christians. I'm spending time here because for most of us, the Bible is important and you don't need a theology degree to read it, Pastor Stu. Come on. The first disciples didn't start following Jesus and go to Jerusalem seminary. But they were formed throughout their life through the Word. And I want to say this to us, especially those who've walked with the Lord for a long time. Some of the the, the lack of passion and excitement for the Word of God stems out of the fact that we had yet to step in to the world of Scripture in all its mystery and complexity and challenges. Do you know that the Bible invites the real human experience to be seen and understood? It has stories that are difficult, that resonates with us, and stories that challenges us, and stories that we don't understand. But the Scripture is so much more than some of us have grown up to believe it is, if we will invest the time to learn how to read it well. So, it's historical, it's literary, and it is also theology. I was in a master's degree course in Manchester when I felt rather out of my depths. Don't worry, the sermon will be better. And I said to a very renowned theological scholar who was my biblical professor. I'm just not a good theologian. And he looked me square in the face and he says, we're all theologians because theology is simply to wrestle with God in our relationship with Him. The question you must answer is whether you want to be a good one or not. Theology is the work of the church, not just pastors. And theology derives not only out of a reading of God's Scripture and presence in the community of faith, but it seeks to answer the question of how we shall live in relation to what we believe. And while any one of us can pick up the Bible and find a good Scripture that might speak to us in our particular need, the Scripture is so much more than that. It invites us to find our purpose and understanding for life in the plan and the will of God is revealed in it. I say this to you because here, this is my heart's desire, 
that we would not be scraping the surface with God, but that we would enter into the story of God as those who are open to discerning and learning the deep truths that form and shape us to be a people of God. In the coming months and in the year ahead, don't worry, whatever I say in my preamble is taken off my sermon time. In the year ahead, we will offer courses that are not surface level, but also entry courses for those who are just beginning their journey, so that we together may learn how to be formed by the Word of God. I want to say this to you. We need help here. In a world that is polarized, in a world that is difficult to find one's faith in, we need help here. And if anything, the season of Lent invites us to take the Word of God seriously. And on that note, I transition from my preamble. Some of you are worried. Sometimes the Lord gives me thoughts on the Scripture that I find hard to articulate in writing. This morning feels like one of those. So I ask for your grace. It won't be well said, but I trust it is Spirit-led. Today marks the end of a season of epiphany as we turn our attention to the mysterious, the beautiful, the provocative, glorious transfiguration of Christ on a mountain. It is a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew because Jesus, up until chapter 16, had been announcing that He has brought about a kingdom, a kingdom that was defined by healing and restoring people and bringing hope to the least of these and proclaiming that the wait was over. That which the people had longed for had finally shown up in the Messiah named Jesus. But in chapter 16, Matthew takes a turn like the season of Epiphany takes a turn on this day called Transfiguration Sunday. In chapter 16, Jesus begins to not talk about the kingdom that is drawn near, but he begins to say, I must die and be raised again. We know from Scripture that those following Jesus, those keen disciples that were longing for a Messiah, soon rejected the idea that kingdoms are wrought through dying. In fact, in chapter 16, when Jesus makes clear to Peter following his confession that he knew Jesus was the Son of God, when Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die there, but I will be raised again. Peter says, I don't want to listen to you. That's not the way this Jesus thing works. And Jesus reserves some of the most harshest words for one of the disciples he loved the most. Get behind me, Satan. For you do not have the things of God in mind, you have your own human concerns in mind. And it's fascinating 
that Peter refuses to listen to that which Jesus needs his disciples to understand, that in the coming kingdom that is now present with him, there is an unfinished work that has to be done because Jesus has come not only to help Israel find their salvation again, but to extend such salvation to everyone. And then after chapter 16, are you still with me? Can you say amen? My wife's not here this morning, but she's saying amen as she's watching it. She's not well, so pray for her. She's not feeling well today. Right after chapter 16, uh, we get into the transfiguration. Jesus goes atop a mountain, and the Scripture says he invites only three disciples to go with him. Now, you all will know this, that the disciples are always, or not always, but they seem to be clamoring for the favorite spot. Take me, take me. I wonder if there's more going on here than we realize. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John, and they go up the mountain with them, and there atop the mountain is one of the most amazing revelations of who Jesus is. I mean, I know, in our modern minds, we kind of go, that's weird, I don't know if that happened. You know, maybe it's a psychotic break that they had, all of them. Uh, maybe, you know, the Bible is just kind of this way of painting pictures that are not realistic. But, but let's just go on faith for a second. The, the, the heavens open, the glory of the Father shines on the Son, so much so that His face becomes a glow, and His clothing becomes bright. And it is such a significant revelation of who Jesus is that the disciple Peter, whom he loves, says, this is it. <laughs> this is the moment we've been waiting for. Let's, let's camp right here because it doesn't get any better than this. Let, let's, let's put up tents for you and Moses and Elijah because, because this moment is the moment that I've been waiting for. You know what's interesting is that when I read this and I prepared this week, I said to myself, Jesus, you missed an opportunity. Has anybody ever had that moment in your life where you kind of go through your day and you go, you look back and you go, missed something. Could have been so much better. I felt that way about this text. I thought to myself that previously the Pharisees were saying, hey, Jesus, you know, you're doing all these miracles and stuff, but give us a real sign. Show us who you truly are so that we can overcome our doubt. Show us something significant. I, I thought to myself, why didn't he invite the Pharisees up on the mountain with him? Maybe even the crowds. Why didn't he invite everyone that you could possibly call to go up that mountain? Because if they did they would have seen what those three disciples saw. And perhaps not only would their doubt be overcome, but the revolution would begin. There would be passionate followers of Jesus who saw the glory of God revealed through him and the deep passion that would lead them to be the people of God. But Jesus doesn't. And what Jesus doesn't do 
teaches us as much about who he is as what he does do. Peter's response in the presence of Moses. I don't know if this language will make sense to you, but he's a heavy hitter. He's the big papa. He's the notorious big stack daddy of the Old Testament. <laughs> I had to try that one on you because you're all looking rather stiff. And... He's the one who went up a mountain, remember, and there got the word of God given to him on stone tablets. He's the one that brought forth the word of God, the, the way of God for the people of God. And he's joined by, get this, Elijah, the pioneer of the prophetic witness. The man who prayed and brought the fire of God down on the sacrifices, consumed all of it, including the water surrounded, and Baal's prophets fell in awe of Israel's God. And Jesus, along with Moses and Elijah, is this trinity of revelation. <laughs> Any Jew that saw that would have said, it's fulfilled. God is here. The prophecy that said Elijah must come is now being fulfilled before the Messiah will come. And here on this holy mountain, this is the moment we've been waiting for. This is it. This must be what God always had in mind. But Jesus didn't invite everyone. He invited a few that needed to see what they were not yet able to see. That the glory of God is not for a mount of transfiguration and an experience for only a few, but would be made clear on another mountain when Christ would give his life for more than just Israel, but for the salvation of the world. I thought about how to say this, and I struggled this week because I felt like I was onto something, you know? You know, I learn about Scripture, it doesn't give up its truth easily. And when you're rushed, it seldom does. But just as Peter decides again to do what is in Peter's mind to do and build three tabernacles, the voice of God interrupts him and says, this is my son whom I love, in whom I am pleased, listen to him. Do you know what's going on here? God is saying, Peter, you're, you're not listening to my son. 
He has told you what is to happen, but you are deciding to circumvent the cross. You want to you camp out on the Mount of Transfiguration. You don't want to walk with him to Jerusalem. Uh, Peter, you, you want to build tabernacles here because you don't understand that, that he's come to dwell amongst all men, not just on the mountain. That God's plan is yet to be fulfilled. Peter, you don't understand that, that if you stay here, you won't get to see the glory of God in its fullest. Peter, if you think that this is it, you've not listened to him. You need to listen to Jesus. Even when what he says is not what you want. Oh. I won't pick on my children because they're such good children. That's not a joke. We are incredibly blessed. But when my son, who has got, must, you must have the coolest hair here today, I got to say. Could you come up here for a second? <laughs> I'm so proud of you, my boy. And I'm proud of, of the man you're becoming. When I was your age, I had better hair. But there's a story I want to tell when you were a little boy. And we had a, you're old enough that you remember VC, VHS videotapes? Yeah. What was your favorite movie? Um, Cars. No? Okay, sorry, you answer. I don't want to answer anymore. Cars, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, we had this VCR and, you know, those big TVs. When kids see TVs today that look like back, you know, they're like, what's wrong with the TV, right? Like, and uh, I remember you were taking different things, toys, and you were jamming them in the VCR slot. <laughs> and I said, Luke, don't do it. And he stood there. He stood there. He looked at me. He was, you were the cutest kid, by the way. And you leaned in. Your mother thought it was funny. I thought this was the change of the balance of power in the household. <laughs> and you stuck whatever it was in the VCR, and I had to take the whole thing apart. Now, however, there's a lot of good stories to tell about you, but this is the one I chose for today. So thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks for coming up. And, and also, uh, the, the reason I bring that up is because I think listening to Jesus, listening to God has some of the similar challenges that we, every one of us have. Uh, there, there is a sense in which we only want to listen for that which confirms what we want. Peter had no desire to be a part of a movement that causes pain and suffering so that others might be liberated. Peter didn't want to walk the crossroad. Peter didn't want his, his faith in God and his following of Jesus to lead him to a place of suffering and pain. And, and if I was to be honest with you, neither do I. To listen to Jesus is to listen to, to God's plan for more than just my life. 
more than just what I want. Most of us are tempted to believe that God exists to give us a perfect life. We exist to make God known in this world as the Savior for all. And such a calling is hard. It requires an attentiveness that pierces through the fear. A courage that will only be generated as we begin to take Jesus seriously. The transfiguration could have been a turning point that started a different kind of kingdom. But God interrupts to say to Peter and to us, don't stop following Jesus from mountaintops to hard places. Because it is only when he goes to Golgotha that he can overcome Satan, sin, and death and bring repentant hope to this entire world. Don't stop following Jesus by trying to camp out in places that you think are the, the places of arrival, the, the, the places that we can feel we've got it figured out. But instead, listen to Jesus and follow Him down the mountain, even though it will be hard. Where He is going is where hope lives. Some of us don't need any convincing. You say, so you know what, Stu? You don't need to tell me that uh, life is hard. Right now, I've got some hard things, some difficult things, some challenging things. I, I want to say this to you. Uh, this is not a sermon specific to our own personal challenge. And although Jesus says, he, he does say uh, to his disciples, the cross is before me, and you will also have to learn how to bear your own crosses. It's just, just a side comment. The way of Jesus is often learning how to bear the crosses that we, we get in this world. It's a cross-bearing way of life. And, and if you think that I'm suggesting that that's all it is, it's not all it is, but it is something, something that's absent in the theology in our world, especially in the first world. We tend to think of following Jesus apart from suffering. Apart from hard things. Apart from disappointments. Apart from things that, are, that no one wants. Aren't you glad that he didn't stay on the Mount of Transfiguration? They only saw part of him on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know where they saw his full glory? On the cross. They saw a God who would die in our place so that we would not have to die. They saw a God who loves the world so much that he does not, in comparison to some of the religious perspectives in the world, stay aloof from his creation in some kind of distant judgmental chasm, but a God who steps into the world and takes upon himself all that keeps us from the wholeness that is always intended for us. 
They get a view of Jesus at Golgotha that they don't get when they stop and camp out on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me just say this to you. Walk and follow Jesus to the hard places because it is there where you will see your faith come alive to a God who does not run away from our pain or dismisses the agony in our world. Does your heart not break today when you think about Syria and Turkey? Does your heart not break today when you think about systemic racism? Does your heart not break today when you look at a world in which human beings can treat each other with such utter contempt and disregard? Does your world, is your world big enough to see the pain of the world and then to turn your eyes to a God who does not run away from it, but is present in its midst? to bring healing and hope. And so we cry out, dear God, have mercy on us as the church, that we would embrace a faith that is real and dynamic and makes a difference in our world, a faith that does not cower under fear or seek experiences that is just about us, but a faith that propels us into the world in hope that you meet us even in the dark places. This is the word of the Lord for the church of God. This is the word of the Lord for a world in which we live. This is the hope we have. A Christ who takes upon himself what we can't carry so that we may experience the ultimate hope that only he can bring. Will you be in the season that begins this Wednesday willing to listen to Jesus? Not to the Jesus you want him to be or I want him to be. But the Christ who is revealed to us. They say that Canada is becoming more and more post-Christian. Not news for most of us. We understand that less and less people are finding religion meaningful, helpful, or interesting. We live in a world in which the church does not have the power it once held. And I don't always think that's a bad thing. When the church aligns itself with political power, political power always seems to hold power over the church. We live in a world in which people are antagonistic, sometimes atheistic. Most people are just agnostic because they look at a world and they say, how can there be a God amidst this mess? Where is this God of presence and love? Do you know that there is a partial answer to that question? The answer is that that God who came into this world and stepped right into the midst of its mess has created a following of people that will do the same so that the world would apprehend that he is present yet.
Thank you, Father, for your word today. Thank you that Peter and the disciples eventually listened to you. In fact, the, the scripture we read following Matthew's gospel says they did. They got it. And so there's hope for all of us, including myself. We can learn to hear your voice, to listen beyond self-interest, to refrain from reducing you to a magic genie or someone who just exists to make things better for me, to embracing a God that leads us in mission to a world that is broken. So, Father, as your church, we learn again to pray the prayer that you prayed and taught your disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pray this with me. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive as we forgive those. And lead us not in temptation. For thine is the power and the glory. Amen.